Certified brand foods basically have a stamp of approval from 15 years of 15 to 18 years of experience using those foods to adapt and mold them to an individual's foot. Hey everybody, welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Ferris, and I've got Evan Williams, my sidekick, with me today. And our guest on the show is Stephen and James Lathrop from Lathrop and Sons. Uh, custom footbeds and custom boots now, too, correct? That's correct. Absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Well, how are you guys doing? I think we're doing pretty good. Doing real, doing right. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, doing, we're doing real good. We're just getting settled into our new new headquarters here. Right on. Well, where is that new headquarters? Well, we're here in Robinson, Illinois. We're actually just behind the uh, Heath Candy Company factory. In a, the a Heath Candy park. Bars? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Heath Candy Bar that goes in the blizzards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right yeah. In Robinson, Illinois, we can see in Robinson, Illinois. Yeah. So that's southeast. southern Illinois, right? Yeah, southeastern, about oh, to put it on a map, about an hour and forty-five minutes uh, west and a little south from Indianapolis. Okay. Well, cool, cool. You you've got a few big whitetails that run around that part of the country too. I would think. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and Stephen loves well, there's, Stephen there's, loves to share them and rub them in your face. Nah, <laughs> what well, you got to? I mean, I, you do. I mean, Stephen, I love sharing trail camera pictures, we and, do. and mine don't look like his. Oh heck! <laughs> well, there you, the you people listening can't see it but there's a giant white tail hanging right behind these two right now with a big old drop tine on him so i i know there's some big ones running around there somewhere yep yep so well cool go ahead i was saying so you guys are you are still getting settled into the new facility then yes we are yeah we've been in here for probably four weeks and we moved in four or five weeks that week right after the fourth of july and we're still kind of getting our showroom set up and juggling accounts and just trying to take care of everybody. So get all the moves out the door, it's kind of... I was going to say, this time of year, that's kind of a gutsy move. Well, it just kind of happened that way. Well, we, start, well, we started it last November, so we actually did really well. We, we, we really beat the lumber prices and all the inflation that's going on right now. I guess it's coming down now, but... Uh, we had everything pretty well locked in, so so we were in good shape. But it, it was time to time to make a change and and spread our wings a little bit more, and probably needed to do it five years ago. But we actually went from nine hundred square feet, somewhere right around in there, to forty eight hundred square feet. Now you've got to realize wow. that 900 we were storing off-site, so all of the footwear was stored off-site. But, I mean, quite honestly, when you look at a lot of these companies today, that's what you see. A lot of these companies are downsizing into smaller suites, and they're having their products stored in a warehouse and shipped out of a warehouse now. That's just what you see going on today. So, um, But we do enough manufacturing and we had to have the space there's there's just there's no way around it you've got 
you've got boots that need modified, you've got footbeds that need poured, you've got to have a pouring room, you know, shipping, receiving, you've got to store the boots, and then you have to have a quiet area where you can consult with someone about their footwear for an upcoming hunt, and it was just getting to the point you couldn't do it all in, in the square footage. I, I actually spent a lot of time running up and down the steps in the podiatry clinic up there in the orthopedic shoe room just so I could uh, have some quiet. Yeah, we, yeah. we had grinders going on and just all kinds of stuff. So it's a good move. Well, where, where were you guys prior? Were you in the same town? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We just moved across town. We... Latham and Sons' background is out of the podiatric field. Our father's a podiatrist. Okay. And Steve and I both started, if you want to hear the story, we started probably when we were about 14, 15 years of age working in his office. Started out, you know, just taking care of bringing patients in and out. And the glorious job of sweeping up toenails, that kind of stuff. <laughs> I mean, we've yeah. done it all. And yeah. so when we became licensed pedorthas, we had our two different uh, businesses. And uh, we started late for the Suns where we were operating it in the lab in the basement where we would make all the other orthotics and devices. So that's where we started and we just worked out of it and squeezed the lemon as much as we possibly could. And finally, we just needed to do something bigger so we could have everything on under one roof. Right. Well, how, tell me a little bit more. How are you pronouncing, pronouncing that? I always say podiatrist. And what did you do? Yes. A podiatrist is a, is a doctor of podiatry. Right. All right. Right. A podiatrist is a person that is building braces for the foot, for the ankle, developing a custom molded shoe for somebody that has extreme foot deformity, filling prescriptions mm -hmm. for pediatric little, little uh, kids that are having flat foot problems or born with that. We worked a lot with it and we worked also hand in hand with the, uh, a lot of wound care specialists. So you would see a lot of problems with some of these arthritic slash diabetic feet. So we would, you know, take impressions and make foot orthotics um, and do a lot of things to help someone find more comfort, res uh, prevent an ulceration or a breakdown of the skin, blistering. So that is what a pedorthist is. So it's someone that's basically an orthotist for the foot is essentially what you're saying. So, oh, I, I see what you're saying. So it's not a doctor. You're almost like a, a, not at all. a PT a tech or you're something. Are, that You're basically filling a prescription from a physician for an appliance right. to help that person walk. So feet have literally been the family business ever since you guys were little. little bit, since we were little guys, little bit. Yeah. And that is so, how you develop the end of the boots. Yeah, and how so how did you uh come to find a home in the in the hunting industry? What made you go that direction? Well the big thing was that we love we love the outdoors. We love the bow hunt. 
Well, I right. really loved Beaumont. It wasn't something that archery, bow hunting wasn't a fad. I, I just turned 50 in May. Back then, it, it wasn't a fad. It was James and I, with a couple other guys, scratching up enough change to put a couple gallons of gas in the family vehicle, load up with all of our bows, go to the local archery shop, and the average age of gentlemen in that archery shop when we walked in was probably in their mid-50s to 40, 45, 50 years old. And yeah. it had to be so foreign to those guys to see, you know, this small group of, of kids, basically, 16-year-olds pulling up there and saying, hey, right. I can't, now get this, I can't buy, I can't afford to get an arrow but I've got two arrows and I don't know how to fletch these. Can you fletch these arrows for me? I mean, that's kind of how we got started in that, into it. I mean, we're just so passionate about it. And then when you start getting to go on some of these hunts and you start finding out that there were ways that we could do something in the outdoor industry that we were doing in the medical field, we started stooping up these boots, right? Our own boots. And we started finding benefits from that. And then we started having, you know, we had one, a good friend of ours um, swing in and he was doing some hunting here in Illinois. And one night he was in the lab just BSing with me and asked me, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm helping this guy with a pair of boots. And and he said, really? He goes, yeah, you know, it makes, makes a big difference. And he said, why don't you guys ever help people with that? Like, I think there would be a market for that. And I go, nah, I don't really think so. And he goes, no, I think you're wrong. And I kind of pitched it to James. I said, what do you think about the idea? And I, and I think I think the one statement that was made by, by, I think it was me, at 45 years old, do we really want to look back at this and go, man, we have the chance to do that and we didn't do it. We were way, way qualified to do that. We just didn't do it. Well, like I said, we just turned 50 in May and I mean, we're, we're there. Like, it's going. And, I mean, we put our, I'm, I'm out of it. I'm, both of us are nothing in the medical field. Haven't been for six years now. It's, it's full, full throttle in this and it, and it shows. I mean, it's taken off. Right. Had you, uh, had you actually been, when you were younger, did you ever get a chance to go out west? And it's definitely a little bit different game than Midwest whitetail hunting as far as the mountain hunting goes. And that's where that market is really big. You know, just about everybody that goes up there has had a hunt at one point where their feet really impacted their hunt. Um, and I, you know... I, I was just wondering whether the light bulb went off when you actually took a trip out there or whether somebody had said to you, hey, guy, there, there's guys out west that are climbing really steep mountains with heavy backpacks and, yeah, man, they might have a need for what you do. I, I'd say it's a little, it was a little bit of both. I mean, you know, you can kind of sit there and say to yourself that you think it's a good idea, right? Or you think there's really a need, but you always question that, Right. But right. then when you started bumping into more and more guys telling you 
that no, you are on on track. You you really are on track. That's that's how it evolved, right? Right, right. And I I was looking at your website just a few minutes ago, and that first image that you have on there is those the guy with the blisters on the back of his feet, and bad looking ones. I've had that before, and I understand exactly how how painful that is it's just debilitating and can absolutely shut a hunt down before it even really begins um so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh your your process and what you build for people well basically the process is it's a process that we We've taken really from our father's practice. We start out just like if you walked into any physician's office, you got to get some kind of a history. So a person would actually purchase from us a tool called a mapping kit. And essentially what it does is it creates a mirror image of the plantar surface of the foot. By adapting that into a person tracing their foot, you get the mirror image, and then you get some of these dimensions that are very important to have to help select what last, what length, what width. So if you've got a guy, and I actually took care of a guy the other day with a bad bunny. When you have a really severe bunion, a bunion deformity. Okay. It's a big knob on the side of the first metatarsal. It's really wide. It sticks its prong, but it sticks yeah. out quite a little bit. And okay. so when you're looking at a foot like this, and you're looking at the boots that are available, how are you going to fit this thing? Usually these types of deformities are just going to tear the living heck out of the foot because these boots are made off of a last, and that's what it is. So you really got to take into consideration what sizing, what volume inside of that boot to be able to formulate the plan to be able to mold that boot or adjust that boot so that it's got that pocket there so it's comfortable on the side of that bunion. So let me go back. So you get the mapping kit. That does, This is a tool. That's all it is. It's a tool to gather information for us so that we can formulate some kind of a plan with options for this individual when we get them on the phone to do their consult. By the way, there's eight pictures, four of each foot, that we ask the person to provide for us. They email them to us. Sometimes they send them in a the box. But we gather that information and we sit here at our design tables and do the evaluation. We study what we've got in front of us. Once we have some options, then we schedule a consultation with them. Average consultation time generally is between maybe 30, 40 minutes. I'll be honest, sometimes I get a little long-winded because I want somebody to really know what's going on. Hour and a half I've gone. So you got an idea on what direction you're trying to go. But sometimes when you get them on the phone and they actually start, you give them the floor so they can start talking about what's going on. Up until this point, we're just assuming 
what's taken place by what we see in front of us. It's not until we have this conversation that maybe we have to go a different direction. So it's the process evolves as we speak with the client, the customer. And, you know, that's the, that's the idea. Sometimes you need to take a step or two back when, when necessary. Maybe you have to go back to the drawing board. But it's a right. process of identifying problems that they have, identifying what style of is best suited for their foot. And then, and then we formulate the plan of how we're going to make this custom Synergy insole so that it fits properly inside of that boot and impact that foot in a positive way. The goal is to be 100%. However, just like whitetails or elk that you chase, there's really not a whole lot of symmetry to them. The right's not yeah. going to be the same as the left. And right. so, you know, sometimes you've got to adjust for that. That's, that's the right. process. You're trying to get it 100%. If you can get 100%, great. But if you can have somebody that's got a, a serious problem on the back of their heel, they're dealing with some sort of aroma in their foot, and you can get them in a, a mountain hunting boot that allows them to go for eight or nine days with very little discomfort, that's pretty much a success story. Because the activity in and of itself is pretty difficult anyhow. I think everybody knows oh, yeah. that. Absolutely. And it's funny, you're talking about people with specific issues. I I have hammer toes. My pinky toe um, basically almost doesn't touch the ground. And whenever I have an issue with a boot, it's usually because that boot gets real tight around the end of my toes right there. And my pinky toe rubs up against the side of the boot. And you're talking about doing things for the entire foot and not just necessarily the bed of the foot, correct? Right. Coming up with plants. Yes. You want, yes. You, want, you want to look at, when you're looking at this, uh, this foot type, as James alluded to, that we're, we're trying to match the last step and so that the listeners understand and you guys understand the last is the plastic model, polypropylene model that's milled out and the boots manufactured over it. And every company has proprietary labs just like we do. We want to closely match that to that 3D mapping kit. From that, the visual aspect of it and the visualizing of the um, the photographs, those images, and that mapping kit gives us predetermined idea of the direction we want to go. Now when we're going through the console, Danny, you're sitting there saying, guys, hey, I've got contraction in my toe. My mom's had it. My dad's had it in my fifth toe. I'm so tight in my Achilles tendon and my calf that, hell, when I'm standing, I can't even see my pinky toe. It looks like it's lifted off the ground. We're able to go in then and actually take tooling devices that we've had made and modified and warm and lift that area up and let it cool down mm -hmm. and pop that out. And you're looking at a boot that is absolutely shaped to accommodate that. Now, you know, if you have one specific point that is pressing on it, you've got to go a little one way and a little the other way. But I mean, it, it really works well with the, with the way that we have selected boots 
to take on and morph into this. I mean, it's it's a learning process, and and it's all it's all been developed from the, our past experiences in the podiatry, pedorthic, and and dealing with some absolutely terrible feet in the medical field. No doubt. Huh. So, do you have different boots that you also? recommend to people for uh that have specific problems say like a guy like me yes we do and we we've actually got um we've got our own brand right but prior to that james and i were both using what we call now or classify now as certified brands certified brand boots basically have a stamp of approval from 15 years of 15 to 18 years of experience using those boots to adapt and mold them to an individual's foot. So we have all this experience with these certified brands. So if you come to us and you really want this boot, but James, if James does your calibration on your chart and comes back because you're starting Danny's consult, you need to look at that for me. I'm checking this out, man, and I know he wants one of our boots, but I'm not seeing it here. What do you think? I've got these certified brands listing. Your feet are telling us what you need. I know your heart is okay. in it, but the fact of the matter is you came to Stephen and James to lay up in some boot company to have a boot that is fitting to your foot, and you're trust entrusting us to select not just the right boot, but a quality boot that will have some longevity that we can really support. And so those are our, our certified brands and just boots, but we do this for a lot of these professional athletes. It's pretty cool. They, the, the trainers that they're dealing with fully understand that you're putting them in a premium custom boot system. And you're really going to do someone a disservice by putting them in a custom boot system. And during the consultation, you find out that that person is wearing what kind of training shoes you wearing? And they say, well, I'm wearing a New Balance 608 cross trainer. My wife got it at Coles. Well, that shoe likes all kinds of midfoot stability. And why are we spending all this time and energy to do a hunting boot when you're probably most likely going to be in that training cardio shoe during more workout, more miles? So therefore, before you even hit the mountain, you've already strained your arch, your plantar fascia band, and you're crippled up, but yet you've got these killer boots that Stephen and James did. So we've actually taken a step farther. We are we have this implemented and have been very successful with a lot of these professional athletes that love to get in the outdoors. Wow. So when you're saying you're dealing with professional athletes, are you are you dealing it with them in their specialty as well as the outdoors or just we in actually, their outdoor pursuits? Yes, we actually have. We have had some clients of ours that have caught in our boots and our foot beds. And during a conversation, it was, hey, do you think I can get another set of those custom foot beds you built in my boots? Yeah, why? Yeah, no problem. We can we can help you with that. What What's happening is, well, you know, on game day, I'm having to take those out of my boots and put them on my cleats. And James just doesn't James oh. conversation with one of our clients. And James like, you've got to be kidding me. He goes, no, man, I move those things in and out. And I'm thinking, this guy's a monster. And he's doing it. It's just incredible to hear those kind of stories, you know? Right, right. No, that's 
That's really cool. So during a consultation, I was just reading up on some of your stuff. You you go into how heavy do you think the pack that you're going to have on is actually going to be? How heavy could it be if you end up killing one? Um, you're not just doing it for that person's body weight. Is that right? Yeah, you have to think of it this way. Everybody's taken a half-ton truck and squatted it, right? Sure. We've all jumped in a three-quarter ton with nothing in it. Mm -hmm. And if you think of those two analogies right there, and you're trying to put a compound, a, a, a two-part compound, that's the easiest way for people to understand this. Think of a temper, these temperpedic beds, right? Think of that material, but a gel, right? That is what we're putting into these molds for people. If I make that too soft or too hard, it's going to be the half ton, three quarter ton scenario. It's, it's the easiest way for me to explain it to a customer on the phone. So if I don't get your, I, when we get high the weight, it's it's not just the weight, it's the build, it's understanding. Is he built like a tight end? Is he built like a freaking fullback? Is he built like a lineman? Because a lineman, a lot of these linemen, or even a fullback, they're short, squatty, they're kind of bow-legged out a little bit, they're gonna have more of a lateral strike. I mean, this stuff I'm, I'm throwing out is not to confuse the listeners, but it's true. I mean, this is just the years of experience. We can, believe it or not, guys, we can look at this, visualize it, and tell what kind of a foot we're dealing with because of that. And you're sizing it up. You're sizing it up. You're kind of sizing up what kind of problems potentially predetermined you're going to deal with based on that. So... So you take it the height and weight, and you want the pack weight, right? Because if you're if a guy's sitting there telling you, "Hell, I'm only wearing, I'm only going to pack 30 pounds," well, that dude's not going to need a big dense insert. But then you've got a, a lineman that's going to be packing 80, 80 pounds, 100 pounds. Right. You're going to want to you're going to want to firm that up a little bit, right? You're going to want to firm it up a little bit. You're going to want to change that cover a little bit, give him a little bit more substance there. You might even want to, you know, recraft the, the beating area underneath the ball of the foot for a peak pressure area. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. that's why you want to, you really want to tailor it to that person. You sure do. So there's, depending upon the build and the height and things like that, there's different points of the foot where, more pressure is being applied. Hundred percent. And, and the, go ahead. The, uh, my next question was like your 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 mapping kit and uh, like the carbon print that you take. Do you ever tell people to wear their pack when they take that carbon print? I've often thought about this, and we, we had talked about doing that out at one of these shows, and it might sound a little contradicting to, to some of this, but you have a person in their home, right? Right. And they're standing down on that, and they're just, the, the fear that I always thought was, maybe what they're doing right there in their home and then you're overcorrecting it by what you're trying to do. It might give you a false kind of false 
representation of what the reality is, what that person's True. really going to be doing. So now you could be misciding somebody's boots. True, right? Like you're right, really right, right. elongating that foot out, and when you're climbing, you're not flat-footed, right? Mm-hmm. And no one climbs a mountain with their heel on the ground; they're on the ball of their foot. And that actually, you know, kind of leads me to a question or another, just something that's important to understand with with foot biomechanics and and those kind of things. You know, I hear people constantly talking about putting all this arch support and the rest of this stuff into shoes. And you've heard us make mention that a boot is really the foundation, right? It's the shell. Sure. It, it's, the, it's the shell. And that shell stabilizes the foot. Well, the term orthotic is a brace. Right. That term means orthotic. You Google orthotic, it will say brace. Right. It's a brace. It resists twisting and flexing torsionally from side to side. Right. If you have ever picked up a really supportive pair of boots, and it doesn't have to be an alpine climbing boot, something that has a full length, full width shank in the boot, most mm-hmm. of them are nylon. Most mass-produced boots have a plain nylon shank, and over time, and you may have noticed this with some boots, you get the toe spring in it, but then it starts to flatten out. And the reason it flattens out over time is there is no coating over that nylon shank. Well, we put a coating on ours so that you constantly go on a springboard there. You don't feel like a new pair of boots has got rock, and then over time you're losing the rock, and that's because it doesn't have a coating. What I'm getting at with this is that that shank is what's giving you the torsional stability. So I would question, and you got to understand, this isn't a guess. This is 22 years of experience in making a living building handmade carbon fiber foot orthotics. Mm-hmm. I get the validity of wearing them every day in a work boot standing on concrete. I question the effectiveness of a functional orthotic that is being fed to a lot of people. In a torsionally stable boot that's already so stiff you can't twist it in the arch? The second part of the question is, you tell me when you climb the side of a mountain and you're digging your toe into the side of the mountain, the only other part of the foot that's making contact is the toe and just behind the, the metatarsal head or the ball of your foot. The entire arch and the heel is not even bearing weight. If you're not bearing weight on that device, then the device cannot react and, and support the foot. Right. But, and, and the other things that you have to worry about as well is, you know, you start getting a lot of sand and grit in that. And James and I have actually talked about some of the issues associated with overcorrection of a person's foot. So you've got a stiff device and then you a stiff boot and then you throw a stiff device in it. But that stiff shell, if it has not been tailored perfectly to the boot and then it goes into the boot, it inverts the shell and it causes you to start getting arch pain and it starts to roll the boot to the outside. I mean, there's a, and, and you can wear through the Gore-Tex or event lining in the boot because the shell is hard and you're bruising the membrane and then the booty starts leaking. So these are important things that kind of got off and I wanted to touch on with you. Um, no, that, that makes perfect sense, and it's yeah, I, it, something that I didn't realize before we started talking was that the, orth, 
the orthotic is what you guys create and sometimes you are putting people into your boot with that orthotic and sometimes you're telling them we don't have the right boot for you and the this is a our recommendation on a boot to look at from from somebody else which i think is is really cool yeah we'll do that i mean there's been countless times that james and i've sat and he'd, he'd say hey we need to have a meeting and look at this and we'll go into his room and we'll sit and look at it and say do you think that we can get him in our boot and you know there's just been you know it's the up and down and we've had to say no we can't and those guys when we get them on the phone and say, you know what, we can't get you in our boot. We really don't think that it's a good fit for you. And ultimately, this hunch you've been waiting on to go on, let us put you in a low up. Right. It's not a mountain hunting boot. It's a backpacking boot. Right. It's, that's a whole other topic. But it's a backpacking boot. But it's got enough flexibility in the upper with some manipulation there. I think we can get you to where... If you're on a scale from one to five right now, in your current boots, you're a one or a two. We might be able in this in this lower boot, we might be able to get you up to say a three or a four. And they're just ecstatic that we're even able to get them to that point, right? Because they have no option. Right. right. And it, it's it's funny how there are some hunters, some mountain hunters, who constantly struggle with foot issues. And some guys that never seem to, you know what I mean? And for the guys that never seem to, you you don't understand how big of an issue it can be until it is an issue. And just like we were talking about, or like you were, what you were talking about, where somebody has waited for a long time to draw this tag or has been saving a bunch of money for a long time to go on this dream hunt. And then all of a sudden, the issue happens at the beginning of that hunt and your entire hunt is ruined. Like you said, it's very much a foundational thing um, for the for the entire hunt and how you're going to enjoy it and what you're actually going to be able to do. Um, <laughs> so for somebody who has anything like that coming up or somebody that just struggles with foot issues, how do they, how do they start out with you guys? Is is visiting the website the first step, um, or is it giving you guys a call? You could do either, but we really prefer to have a, a one-on-one conversation with them. Yeah. And to be able to really just kind of see if this type of step is the right direction for them, I think that's right. important. Really Are there some people that it's that it's not that it's like you probably don't need a custom orthotic? Is there are there those people or can just about everybody that's doing aggressive enough stuff use one? We well, not just that. I mean, it doesn't. I mean, there, this is what's really nice about what we've been able to do with this with our own brand. You pick up the phone, you call. You get to talk to one of us, James or myself, one of the owners on the telephone. We help you make a decision whether you think, we really think a custom boot system, it's a boot system, so it's the boot, it's the footbed, the consultation, it's everything. Is this really for you or 
would you be okay just buying a really well-made design boot by some professionals that absolutely sat in a lab with the booty on their foot, created templates and patterns for primary padding around the ankle and the Achilles tendon area the way that we've done for 22 years in an orthopedic office, and then overnighted that to Italy and said, I want that foam applied to that, and I want that boot set, sample sent back two weeks from now. Now, James, put it on and tell me, did that do what we needed to do? Nope, do it again. And that is how we did it. So a person can still benefit from Life and Sons Boot Company, whether it's a custom boot system. Maybe you don't have the money to do a custom boot system, but you still want to have a really really nice pair of boots that fit well, you can buy our standard footbed and you can buy our off-the-shelf boot. People do it all the time and you can save yourself, you know, a couple hundred dollars on it doing that way. You just don't get the level of service. You don't have a chart that you can come back and use for future purchases. So it's really one place where you can kind of get what you want. You can buy a standard footbed from us. You can buy a Lathrop and Sons boot with a standard footbed, or you can do a custom boot system. It's There's just no reason why a guy can't pick up the phone and, and talk and, and find out whether he is or isn't that guy. But, but I think we can help any of them. Right. And another question. Um, so... We're mainly talking about mountain hunters here. However, there's an entire other population of hunters that you guys are, you're right in the middle of it, the Midwest whitetail hunters. Do you run into situations where you've got guys that really need them for that style of hunting too? And that's not to say that there's not mountain hunters out east as well. Some people that are chasing whitetails in many different parts of the country are are chasing them in steep terrain. Um do you find a lot of people out there that have the same needs? I There's a huge need for it. And anyone who has done enough whitetail hunting, whether it's in the Midwest, now James and I are notorious every year to have between 14 and 16 stands up. Yeah. And if you get to spend a total of a month or a month and a half going in and resetting stands and steps and all that, and you stand in a harness like that long enough, you will really find the value of a boot that's been fitted and that will not collapse to the rungs. I, I get it on a lot of these shows. They show guys in rubber boots doing that, but I, I'm the guy that can't sit and do it. I, there's no way that I can stand up on a couple easy climber steps with a harness on, you know, sweat just pouring off of me trying to do that. So there's definitely that new boot that encompass is going to be absolutely the ticket. In fact, I was out in it Sunday up in a couple stands. It's, it's just going to be a perfect boot for that because it's not as cumbersome as some of the, the real mountain hunting boots that we have. And it's got just a little bit more flex in the toe, a little bit more forgiving. It's just, it just is premium and feels wonderful because it's still got the same primary padding. feels wonderful around the foot. So I can see that being a real whitetail boot. And the other, and the other group of guys that I think is really coming on and Evans into this is this mobile hunting, this style hunting and that where these guys are really active. Oh, yeah. Sticks from step. 
They're gonna absolutely love this setup for the and, and it is, it's the Encompass, the new Encompass, and it's it's gonna be a beautiful boot. And then what the other market in the Midwest, a lot of these Zeppelin guys, they freaking love to have this kind of a boot just from the sheer mileage, from a mileage standpoint, you you know, just whether it's in really rocky, tough terrain or not, just sheer miles will wreck your feet, right? Sure, absolutely. And it's funny you mentioned saddle hunters because I was just thinking about them because they are there's a lot of pressure on your feet the entire time that you're in one of those exactly what I platform or uh, whether you're using uh, uh, easy step system or something like that they do actually have some platforms that are more comfortable now but your your weight is still split be- between that saddle and your feet on that platform. I have, I've never used one, but I, I've seen some photos of some guys in our boots using them, and, and I'm looking at this going, that's that's pretty aggressive. That's uh, Some of these guys are just too aggressive. Yeah, yeah. No is. such thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he fired... He finally pipes up for the. Uh, I don't got I gotta wait for that right moment to get that little one in there. Well, Evan has been struggling with some uh, uh, with some technical difficulties throughout this entire podcast. We kept watching him pop in and out. Did you finally get it figured out? I sure hope so. Both arms are in the air and nothing's getting touched. <laughs> so, so. So one question I do have, let's talk about materials. You know, a full grain or, or an all leather versus a synthetic. You want to know the difference or what the benefits are? Benefits in different situations. Like is, you know, I, I in my opinion or in, in my mind, a leather is going to break down quicker, um, but it's going to potentially give me more support. And there's probably hunts that would do better with that leather versus a synthetic that might have a longer shelf life and I might be able to put more miles on with them, but might be lighter. What's what's the pros and cons of a synthetic versus a, a leather? Well, the first thing that I would say is a synthetic material, I mean, it's, it's synthetic, so it is going to... Re- resist some breakdown but remember on every one of these synthetic fabrics they all have to have backers applied to them they all have to have a coating so what happens when you go start walking through a bunch of rocks and debris for an entire season it brushes all that protective barrier off of it i know it and you guys know it too because you've had your hunting clothing repel water killer time the first year and you're like yeah this man this is not shed water it's you can you can coat it you can put backers on it and you no one wants to put a heavy backer on any synthetic because then what have you done you put a freaking raincoat on so synthetics are great well let's look at it this way faster dry time with synthetics because synthetic is not going to absorb water you guys figure it mm-hmm. out, I'm sure. No, mm-hmm. right. No absorption. Right. Uh, from a footwear standpoint, you've got to put backers on all these synthetics. Any company out there, and I'm telling you guys, there are a lot of companies not putting any backers on them to save money on building a pair of boots. 
what you will end up doing is you will have the lining start to blow out on it. You'll feel debris in the boot. It's not filtering out. So if you're not up in the rocks and sheep country and you're wearing a synthetic boot and you wade out into an elk wallow or a marsh to get your bull moose out of it because you were fortunate enough to draw one of those coated tags in lower 48, and you cut that moose up in it, you just filled that boot up with mud and muck and peat. And yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And you're filling up that boot. <laughs> right, right up behind Danny's head. And this you're is letting all gorgeous that mud Colorado shires. It's filtering right through that synthetic material. Now, all that muddy water sitting down there, and you get home and you're so stoked about your moose. You throw your boots off in the corner and your boots dry out after you've got home to hang out with your wife and kids. You finally look back at the boots and go, now I'm ready to go start my next hunt. You try to put your boots on and it feels terrible. And it feels like you got dried rocks and mud in it. And now, and now you wear it and it, and it doesn't feel too bad because you broke all that up. But what you've inadvertently done is you bruised the membrane and now you've got a leaking boot or you've torn the seam tape loop and now you've got a leaking. So the benefit to the synthetic would be, I would say, a fast dry time. And I would say... The ability for that material, at least on the upper of the foot, to conform to the top of your arch. Because you've got a bundle of nerves that run down the top of that arch. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a lacing system, if you don't have a material that conforms to the top of the arch, then you could, have, you could be in trouble. Leather? I say probably as a natural material will resist that dirt and debris coming in even applied i would say that the leather is going to do a better job keeping debris out if some of these really really good waterproofing products are applied to that leather you shouldn't get a lot of absorption of water into the leather Therefore, it still should dry relatively quick. That's why we have that elite boot. It's a hybrid. So you've got the synthetic running down the tongue, and then you've got the leather. But you know, it's denser too. And it is dense. The leather is going to be denser, so it's going to help hold you on that saddle. So I've seen a lot of these synthetic boots. Like when we, James and I were over in Italy, I mean, we were salivating because we were in. It was it was Byron's Italian headquarters. I mean, you couldn't ask for a, a more cool experience to walk in and the guy says, Oh, Lathrops, 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 do you want to go to the vault? Do you want to go to the vault? And of course, James and I are like, just like on an elk hunt, you really want to go in the hole? Heck yeah, I want to go to the hole. Let's go. Well, you want to go to the vault for a couple boot guys? Yeah, we're going to the vault. And we did. And when we were down there, we're looking at all these different brands that apply vibrant technology into their boots. And I'm seeing footwear that I've never seen in the United States, ever. And I'm seeing the technologies and our designers standing there with us. And I said, gee, can we do that to our boot? Can we do live like it? Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. And then the more you start thinking about that, you start thinking about durability of a synthetic material over time, right? Wrinkling, wrinkling. There's a reason you see these synthetic boots and they've got this overlaying of like a, a harder rubber to, to give it structure, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, 
It burns kind of out a little bit on whether you want to go as an all-synthetic boot, you know? Um, because he's right. I mean, that new Encompass, I went on a nice hike last night with the dog. I got back and was slipping my boots off my foot, and I had that on, and I just had my hand on that boot, just squeezing that that new buck leather around my foot, and I thought, you know, that is really nice. Like, it fits really nice around that foot, so, and it, and it keeps you from getting that shifting side to side. I still think that boot, uh, you know, we're gonna, we had a, uh, had a great year last year with some guys running them that got some awesome feedback. I mean, that boot was two years in the making. That wasn't just a check the box private label boot. That was two years of us working and having samples done. I don't know. The density of the leather natural product, they both serve, you know, they both have, I think a blend's probably the safest best, for, you know, right now. Application that you've got to match the boot to the environment the guy's really in. On top of getting the last right and the rest of it, so we had our work cut out for a seat. You got to match the boot to the environment, the guy, the hunt the guy's going on, right? You got to match it to that. You got to get the last right. You got to get the molding right. I mean, there's a lot to the equation. Right. I was going to say, what about longevity? And, and again, I know it's going to depend on, you know, days in the field, miles covered, type of terrain, the environment, you know, how wet or dry things were. But what would you say is a good lifespan on a pair of boots? When should most guys look at replacing? Because in my opinion, like I, I feel like I have overworn boots to the point where it was actually a detriment in a lot of situations. That happens with just about everybody, just day in and day out. If you sit there and look at what somebody wears, like as an everyday type of shoe or boot, I mean, just right here where we're at, we've got patients that walk into dad's office that have been wearing a boot two years too long. And that's just normal. We're guys. Girls yeah. are the same way. But it is important to kind of look and, and evaluate your foot gear just to make sure that things don't look like they're deteriorating, especially if you're getting ready to go on a sheep hunt or uh, a one-year elk hunt. We want to make sure that everything looks good, the upper looks good. Proper care, like Stephen alluded to before, whether it be leather or synthetic, you want to use the appropriate um, conditioners for the leather just to keep water from penetrating into the leather. That's how the leather will get wet and soaked. If you use those types of creams on there to prevent that from happening, it's going to keep it nice and soft. What happens to the leather when it dries out? It starts to crack. crack. Yep. So if you go ahead and keep that good, you're really in good shape. Take care of it. I'll be honest with you. I used to be really, really good about taking care of my boots. I've kind of gotten a little slack on that. And I think I'm kind of right in there with a lot of other people. But you just got to... Every situation is going to be different. Have you got what any... What I'm going to do versus what you're going to do, Evan, in a year, completely different. Right. The terrain has something to do with it as well. Looking at... <clears throat> I've had guys talk to me about waterproof membranes and why his, uh, let's say his Quest 4D uh, was 
good one year and the next year it leaked like a sieve. Well, there's a reason for that. These booties are stamped out. The material is laid out on a table, sterile table, and then they take their cutting dies and stamp those out. Then that goes to a, a hemming department where everything's stitched together and then it has its tape put on there. Well, if you have a, a boot that's softer in nature, that doesn't have some of that extra structural stability, and you're carrying, let's say you're a heavy, a big guy, you're carrying a heavier load, you go on an elk hunt, that foot, when you're side hilling, is going to be constantly pressing and sliding off of that shank. So you're putting a heck of a lot of tension on those seams in that booty. Make sense? Mm-hmm. It only takes so many steps before it starts to want to pop a little bit. Therefore, before it was really good, next year, maybe it's not so good. So, I mean, that's why a lot of these backpacking, mountaineering boots, they have that black rubber rand going around it. It's not to make it look cool. It actually is there to serve a purpose to keep that foot stable from sliding off of the shank, which helps protect that. And when you were talking about synthetic versus a leather, I'm kind of one of these guys where even though... I personally like the feel of having that blend. If I was going to pick one thing over another, uh, I definitely want to make sure I've got some of that leather along the side with that rubber ram for a reinforcement, just for longevity purposes. But you got to take care of the leather, just like you'd have to do with the other. If you've got an all-synthetic type of boot, basically all you've got is something that's going to flex too much just like my brother's going to even and even with the even with the hardy you run you run the chance you run the chance of having punctures and things like that even even with that but so you know one thing you know how long life expectancy a guy just needs to do an evaluation of his boot every year he just needs to get them out do an evaluation you know, put it on, go for a hike in them. Are they working and not wait to the last minute to do it? I got to be honest with you, in 2015, we, we, we launched or embarked on our own brand, designing, developing. Samples went out. 2017, we haven't restored one pair of boots. So that's giving you an idea when you match the right upper, the right midsole, the right outsole technology then you have longevity of the product. But in that amount of time, I'm sure there's guys still running them. Does that mean that that boot's good? No. It's probably if I evaluated, I'd go, dude, you have really worn this out. But, you know, I don't know. Who who wouldn't want a new pair of boots every three years? I don't think that's unrealistic to replace your boot every three years. I think it's nuts to have to replace a pair of boots every year. If you're replacing new boots every year, you definitely don't have the right boot. Yeah. Or you're really hard on them. And you don't have the right boot. (laughs) Yeah, and I, again, I... I know some guys that are very, very heavy into shed hunting and put a lot of work into cameras and hunting. And I thought I'd ask one of them, well, I might have actually been on the podcast. How many boots do you go through a year? And he said two pairs of boots a year with the, with the manufacturer he was using. 
Wow. So that's a lot. I also know that it has become fashionable for some guys to wear their hunting boots all the time, that's which true. is which is good that's for you guys. True. But I I see it more and more and more, and you know I'm just looking at that sometimes like man that's uh I, they're comfortable it's a good it's a good way to go but um for general everyday foot traffic you're gonna you're gonna wear your boots out pretty fast oh, you know i i've wondered that with some of these but you know what though danny that when they feel really good and they're oh yeah I yep. mean, even in our, in our clinic we've had people come in with plantar fasciitis or tarsal tunnel problems. And when you put them in a boot that actually acts like a pneumatic walker, a brake, yeah. an, an air pass brace, it locks up their rear foot and their forefoot. It's like you put the keystone in the brake archway. And they're, they're able, able to walk and comfortably. They they're able to walk comfortably. If you've had a severe problem like that and you're into doing some construction or whatnot, it would be a good thing. Right. And so maybe some of these guys are just, you know, it's better than some of the other quote unquote work boots that are out there. That's true. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I know I'm guilty and, and Danny may not be sitting over there after that comment, but I'm guilty. I, I like wearing my, my hunting boots to the office twice a week. And, and, and again, it's, twice a week every third week or every fourth week um i'll get that that bug to put them on one because they are so comfortable but two because when i'm not in the taller when he's wearing them <laughs> for three three that is a huge heel okay but i use it especially when i'm not in the field i can take two or three different pairs of socks with me and i can play with different thicknesses um poly pro versus um you know, a secondary sock. Um, do I run one? Am I running two? What about heavier weights? If I use a, an uninsulated boot later in the season or, you know, when I'm in November in Kansas, either in a saddle or in a tree stand, how much, how much toe movement do I use? You know, do I, do I have the ability to wiggle my toes to keep blood circulation or is this heavier weight sock so thick that I lose that mobility? So, I can't idea. use that. Yeah, that's really a good, that's a good idea. That's, that's really close to exactly what we tell these guys. When they go through a custom boot system, they always get this information that says the final step. We have their chart isolated in the cubicle where we're waiting for these final step photos to come in. And then we jump on the call with them. And a lot of what we're telling them is, you know, I hear people constantly call in there, and I really don't know who started this, but 50 miles, 50 miles, 50 miles. I There are people brainwashed 50 miles, and I'm like, stop, put the brakes on. Let's, let's back up and think of it this way. You're going on an elk hunt. How many miles are you going to put on those? How many hours are you going to spend in that pair of boots each day? Okay? They say that. Yeah, maybe eight hours. Okay. Of that eight hours, how much of it is going to be constant walking? And when you start breaking this down for someone, right? It's like you kind of put them at ease. They're they're free. They're they're spooked already out of the gate. What we want you to do is to put the boot on. You're going to start the very first day. You're going to wear that boot for an hour. You're going to take that boot off, 
And the next morning you're going to wake up, and if your calves are a little tender, maybe you don't want to push it too hard the next day. Maybe go an hour and a half or stay at that hour. But ideally what we want to do is to accelerate by a half hour to one hour increments. And it is not a break-in process, and I'm not going to steal James's thunder here because he's spot on about this. The difference between a break-in and a wear-in is a boot that doesn't fit and one that your body is truly adjusting to. And if you guys have ever put anything on, whether it's shooting a bow at a different drawing, your muscle memory changes and your legs and the way that you walk is changed. When you do something as sophisticated as what we're doing to the inside of this boot to accelerate a person through their gait. So what you're saying about putting a boot on with a saw is an absolute must. We have these guys play with soft systems and we have them break it down to where it's an hour to an hour and a half until they hit that eight to 10 hour mark because honest to God, I understand in a perfect world, you'd like to replicate the side of the mountain in Alaska where you're going after this black pill, right? Sitka hunt. But it ain't going to happen. You're in southern Illinois, so if you go put 10, 10 hours in a pair of boots on a weekend and you just hammer them all day long, whether it's working in the yard, going up and down the ladder, whatever, just spin it up, kind of put your mind at ease, you know? Absolutely. It's a good point. Though. Yep. Yep, it does. It, it, it pays to get familiar with them uh beforehand and whether it, whether you're wanting to look two inches taller like evan or whether you're actually trying to do your homework um take everything i can get <laughs> no this is this has been awesome guys we're uh we're hitting about that hour mark and we'd love to have you guys on here again you i've i've never had a conversation with somebody that knew as much about feet as you guys actually do um so for any of the listeners out there, the, the, we asked this question just a little bit longer, but why don't you kind of break it down again, James, what the best place to place and how to start out investigating with you guys? It's pretty simple. You can go to the website, uh, lathebinsons.com, kind of look around if you'd like. Ultimately, give us a call, number 618-544-8782. There's extension Stephen. There's extension James. And awesome. go to us. Leave us a message. This time of year we're pretty busy, but we always like to sit and visit. Uh, leave a message. We'll call you back as soon as we're we're able to. And you know what? It's it's about talking and just understanding what's going on. Usually, people that are calling a company like us. They're really trying to figure something out. We like to solve problems. Sometimes there's easy fixes. Sometimes they're a little more difficult. But sometimes out of those challenges, you actually learn a lot more. And that's what I like. To, I like some of those challenges. I like the easy ones, too. But that's the way. Just pick up the phone call us. We're regular guys just like you guys. Awesome. Well, we appreciate it. We've we've enjoyed having you on, and uh, can't wait to talk to you again about it sometime. Um, thanks, everybody, for joining, and thanks for getting your microphone thanks. working, Evan, finally. Yep, yep, finally. <laughs> thanks, guys. Hey, Steve and James, appreciate you guys. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, thank you, guys. All right, we'll see you.